I want to thank our worship team. You guys put a lot of effort into today's worship, and it really uh, helped me and I think many of us to come into God's presence this morning. So thank you very much for the time that you spent doing that. Um, there's many other people who've taken time to decorate the sanctuary. You may have seen some Christmas um, decorations out front. Uh, all to remind us of this special time of year, as Pastor Hans mentioned to us, this Advent season, this coming of Christ. I pray that our hearts and our minds are focused upon Christ this time amidst all the finals and the busyness and our families and the gifts, we don't lose sight of Christ and the work that he's done. Okay, we have a lot to get through today, so let's see how we can move forward. Uh, this is uh, pictures of the Thanksgiving uh, dinner that we had together. It was really special. Again, a lot of work. Thank you so much for bringing food uh, especially Jimmy and Diane and Kevin who decorated the sanctuary or the cafeteria uh, to look like a very festive place. You'll see those lights all the way until Christmas. So come join us for lunch today afterwards and you can enjoy uh, eating under the lights there. But that was a special time. And uh, thank you again for coming, being with us. Um, Justin was praying about unity, about being one family. I pray that we continue to strive for that, that we're looking for opportunities to share together, fellowship together, enjoy the presence of each other the way that God designed us. Okay, so as you know, uh, does anyone not have a Genesis book? Uh, we have them in the back here. If you don't have a Genesis book, please raise your hand. Uh, John will get you a Genesis book. It's nice that we can study this together and take notes together. Today, I hope you do take some notes because there are some things going on that hopefully we can learn together. But let's review where we came from. Uh, Pastor Hans started us in Genesis about the God who is, this God who's self-existent, does not need error, food, um, the shelter that we need. He is before all. He's omniscient. There's no beginning and no end to God. The week after that, I spoke to you about creation, about the chaos, disorder, the death that's here. Remember that uh, boohoo, atuhu, I'm sorry about that formless and void. Uh, but when Christ is the earth, the spirit of God hovering over it. He brings life, and he brings order, and he brings um, a universe that functions under his sovereignty. And then just last week, Pastor Hans taught us about the God who brings order. He talked a little bit about the marriage that he brings, the redemption that he brings. There's a certain order to our universe that God has put in place, and it was good to study that last week. This week, we still haven't gotten out of really verse one and two yet. It's about the God who speaks. And when I talked to you about creation, I told you that he doesn't really tell us how God created. We don't really know how bara actually comes out, ex nihilo. We don't know exactly how that works. But today, when we talk about God speaks, we will understand how God speaks, why God speaks, what God speaks. So we're gonna get a little more into those things um, today. And it was interesting, I, I don't know, my daughter's here, we listen to a lot of 80s and 70s music in our car and we're listening. And my daughter, Abby, was listening to this music and she was listening and listening. Have you guys ever heard the Escape song? It's uh, Rupert Holmes, it's Pina Colada. He sings a lot about Pina Colada. And she was listening to the song and, and basically it's about this man who's sitting in bed and he doesn't like his wife, who he's sitting with, and he begins taking out um, his ad in a paper, like if you like walks on the beach and pina colada, you know, come 
meet me at this place, and, he, and he's communicating this woman through news. They didn't have uh, Facebook texts and things like that, so he had to do it through the newspaper, and he took out this ad in the newspaper, and he wrote that, and someone's responding, they're back and forth, and they finally meet at this bar called O'Malley's, and he's waiting for this girl to come in, and the girl who's been responding to it that likes walks on the beach in the Colada, you want to know? It's his wife. His wife walks in. They've been communicating together. And, and Abby's thinking, this is amazing. Does every song in the 80s tell a story? And Julian thought, I said, yes, actually almost all the songs on like today, they actually tell stories. They have this, this, this rhythm to it. And God speaks to us in the same way. He uses stories many times. We'll talk about that a little bit later today. But as God speaks to us uh, here at the beginning, he says here, let there be light. And there was light. And so let's think about when God speaks, when God says something, what that means to us. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word this morning that speaks to us in a way that is so clear and is so direct and you've given to us and we know that it'll be eternal and not one part can be added, not one part can be taken away that your word is eternal and it relates to us and it tells us the story of Christ. And may we study it this morning, may we see the magnificence of it, this epic story that you're telling to us about Christ and your plan for us to restore us back to your people. Pray these things in your name, amen. So when we look at this, um, we think about God speaking, and I, I was getting ready for this and had a lot of questions about today's message. So I said, Pastor Hans, you know, when God spoke to us, let there be light, and he stopped me and said, you know, Gordon, you not, may not be what you think it is. You know, as we think, and God said, and then there was light. I mean, we think about that, and he goes, well, God may not have vocal cords. God may not have this diaphragm, those lungs, or the air to come out over these vocal cords, and there may not have been an air at that time. I said, that means we think everything. I'm thinking all these years I've been a Christian, I'm thinking God's speaking to us. And I'm thinking, well, maybe that might not be the case. But he's conveying something to us. And, and we take the time to look at what is God conveying to us. And we see here, he's saying this um, here in this verse, in verse 3, and in verse 6, let the expanse be separated. There's this idea that there's water above and water below. Before Noah, I don't think it rained. And there's this canopy over the earth. And you think, how did dinosaurs live so long? How did humans live so long? There's an idea here that this canopy, this water barrier over the earth protected them like a greenhouse. And these dinosaurs could grow very big. People could live six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred years. And when that water fell, you notice that the lifespan after Noah drops to a hundred. These guys are living hundreds, hundred years, but after that's taken away. Verse nine the water gathered in one place and the dry land in another. As soon as God say that, the water and the land separated. Verse 14, let the light separate. There's a light to rule the day called the sun. There's a light to rule the night called the moon. As soon as God said this, it happened. Verse 20, God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures. And as soon as God says it, the waters are teeming with life. As soon as God says something, it happens. And I want you to keep thinking about that. What I was telling you this morning is that God speaks to us in a lot of different ways. If you look at your bulletins, we talk about God's media. You know, I know what you guys think about media, but when God uses media, there's all these different forms of media that I want you to think about this morning. And uh, Hannah gave us an idea of this, that there's this broad understanding of God. And she read to us from uh, Psalm 8 this morning. 
you know, and, and it helped us think about it. We thought about the stars, the sun, the sky, and it pours out speech, all kinds of communication God uses. And my last sermon, I had you look outside, you look at the trees and the sun and the sky, and you think it pours out and it reminds us of God. And it's reminded here in Psalm 19 too. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims, I mean, it's just speaking. It proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. If you're just willing to look, this is what Romans 1 teaches us, that even your conscience, even if you've never heard of God, Romans 1 tells us it's built into you. There's something there innately that's when you look out there and you see that, you say, you know what, there's a God. When you see the stars, when you see the sun, when you look out at all this beauty around us, there's something telling you there's a designer, an architect, someone who's masterminded this universe together. I didn't put a picture up here, but of course the most important body part is your teeth. And so when you think about your teeth, you think, okay, there's my teeth, there they are, I gotta brush them or I get a cavity. And you know, it's the most important part of your body, right? But what you guys have not been through is my dental classes. One of the first things we learned in freshman year is embryology. And I think, oh, why well, you gotta learn about embryology? But what we learned is that three months in, a baby embryo begins forming mesiodens. Mesiodens are the precursor to your teeth. The stem cell starts differentiating into these little buds. And if you take a three-month-old, you begin to see teeth forming in that embryo. And then we took histology, and we found out in a histology class what those cells actually were, what the dentin is made of, what cementum is made of, what the enamel is made of, how those nerve endings inside your teeth are actually formed inside your teeth. And then we took anatomy class, and then we found out how these teeth begin to erupt in, at what ages the teeth begin to erupt in. Then we took physiology and found that there's a shock absorber around your teeth and how these innervations get innervated to the central nervous system in your spinal cord and each tooth has a separate nerve. And then I took four months of nathology. Nathology is just about how your teeth intercuspate with each other, how your incisors hit each other, how your canines hit each other, how you have canine protection when you slide left and right and how they design the slide when you grind and chew your food. I took class after class, month after month, learning about these teeth. That's the most important part of your body, right? And that doesn't even talk about your, your lungs and your heart and your brain. I mean, it's incredible how it's all put together. At the end of those classes, I was amazed what went into our teeth and how they work and what formed it. And if you're willing to, all of you have the scientific back, background in some form. If you're willing to look and you're willing to see, you'll see a designer and a creator behind all parts of our body. And that's what this verse is teaching us in Psalm 19. It's one of the forms of God's media this general, broad understanding of God. Okay, so we talk about general revelation, and Hannah already told us here, there's a specific revelation. In a very unique way, God speaks to us in a very distinct way. So there's a broad, general way, and there's a very specific way. Now, one way we think about this is all the ways that God reveals us to us in Scripture. And start thinking. All the ways, how does God uniquely and specifically revealed to us in scripture. And there's a picture of one of it, we think that is a theophany. A theophany is when God comes to the burning bush and says, Moses, take off your sandals. I am who I am. You know, it's God speaking to us something we can see and feel and maybe even touch. And there's dreams. You know, at the end of the book of Genesis, we see Joseph having this dream, like these uh, hay bales bailing down to him, the stars, the sun and moon um, bowing down to him. And Isaiah, we would say, had a vision. In Isaiah 6, 
you know, holy, 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 this angel comes with this hot coal, puts it in his mouth, and, and you see the temple filled with God's glory. That's a, that's a vision. God is speaking to us through, um, and I put those up, sorry, theophanies and dreams and visions. And we talked a little bit about the angel here. And he also talks about the miracles, like the 10 plagues that get Israel out of Egypt, the Red Sea parting. That's God speaking in a very distinct way. I am your God. I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring you out of slavery. I'm going to bring you to the promised land. God speaks to us through all those things. And then we see very clearly, you see these guys, women, and maybe even a donkey saying, thus saith the Lord. And that's God deliberately speaking to us. There can be no doubt that this is God speaking. And he clarifies it very clearly saying, I am speaking to you. There's dreams, visions, theophanies, all different ways. These are called specific revelation where God speaks to us in a very, very clear way. Okay, so now we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about what the specific revelation is. So there's general revelation, and now we're going to talk about specific revelation. So we have these ideas here. And most specifically, as all of you know, the most specific way that God speaks to us here now today is through his word. There can be no doubt that God's word, what you're holding in your hand or in, in your phone, is God's word. This scripture is what God says. Whatever the Bible says is what God says. Uh, some of us went to that reform conference a little while ago. You remember what he said? And you guys like, some of you are waiting to hear from God. You want to hear an audible voice of God. Do you remember what he said? Because if you want to hear the audible voice of God, get out your Bible, open up to a page, and read it out loud, and you will hear God's word spoken out loud. That's how important it is to know God's word. When we know God's word, we know that God is speaking to us. It's one and the same. You hear God's word, you hear God speaking. It's one and the same when you understand scripture. So I think probably you all know this verse as well. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that every man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The part, all scripture is breathed, a theopneustos. Theopneustos is the voice of God. It's breathed out. All scripture is God's word. All scripture is special revelation. And what we're going to say is that nothing else is. When we say that all scripture is breathed out, we say this is it. Our canon, our 66 books, this is what we have. It is God's special revelation. We don't need to hear anymore. It's all we need for every circumstance of every day until the Lord brings us home. This scripture is all we need. And I'll go over that a little bit more a little bit later. Okay, so we've come pretty far so far, but we're going to get digging a little deeper. Let's find out what is actually in our Bibles. Our Bibles actually come, let me see, do I have another? Yeah, okay, good. It comes from the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible was called the Tanakh. The Tanakh is the acronym. And everything we have from Genesis to Malachi is basically the same thing what the Hebrew Bibles have. So all those guys walking to the uh, synagogue yesterday, they're carrying the Tanakh. The Tanakh is made up of the Torah. Now the Torah, the T here, is basically the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, the biggest numbers, Deuteronomy. This is foundational. This is God speaking to us about who he is. It's the epic story, this beautiful story of who he is and what he's done. And that's why we're going through Genesis. It gives beauty to our world. It reminds us what God has formed at the very beginning. Also, you see sin coming to the world through the Torah. The N 
is the Nevi'im. The Nevi'im is basically the prophets. There's much more here. I just listed Joshua. Joshua could be one of them. This man who takes Israel from the wilderness and brings them into the promised land. And you see that theme echoed over and over again by the prophets, that they're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a leader, looking for someone who will not fail them like their kings have failed them. They're looking for someone to bring them out of exile. They're looking for hope in this world. They would call it a Messiah. And then the last part of the talk is poetry. Um, or, excuse me, Kevetium, which is poetry, the books of poetry. Poetry is this dense, creative language that God uses. And this dense, creative language brings out some of the emotional parts. It's another way of telling the story, but he's doing it in a little different way, appealing to us in songs, in emotional ways, in ways that we not normally speak. And what's interesting about the end of the Torah, the Nevium, and the Kvetium is that they're looking for the Messiah. They're looking for this leader that will bring in the new kingdom, that will free them from slavery, that will free them from sin. At the end of the Tanakh, he never comes. They're still waiting. All those guys who are going to the synagogue every uh, Saturday, they are still awaiting the Messiah because they don't feel that he's come yet. And that's the end of their Bible. They're still waiting. Okay, so if that's their Bible, the Hebrew Bible, our, as I was mentioning, our Bible is basically built, I'm sorry, so that's the story. That's a little picture of the story kind of going through. They, they get so far, they get to Malachi. Is Malachi the last book in the Old Testament? Chronology, is it? Okay, it is, okay, all right. So when they get to Malachi, then at 400 years, um, God is silent. And that's where I, our Bible picks up. Now, our Bible is a little bit different in the sense that we have the history, we have the prophets, we have the poetry, and then you know what comes next. After those 400 years of silence, what comes next? Yeah, the Gospels. John the Baptist comes on the scene, and with the Gospels, it's all filtering down. We would see our Bibles going from this very wide perspective, looking for this Messiah, looking for this um, leader to come and save us from our sins. And as Christians, we would say that accumulates now in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tells us of a man who claimed to be that Messiah, who walked on the earth and said that I am God. In no uncertain terms, Christ claims that he is the Messiah. And that's we're very different from the Hebrews who are still looking for Messiah. We look at Christ and say he fulfilled every one of those prophecies. Christ fulfilled every one of those things about the new kingdom coming. He's saying it is here now. And it's still to come, but it's here in the form of Christ. Christ said all the things that, um, about the suffering servant, about the child born of the virgin, it's all fulfilled in me. And Christ is the fulfillment of all that. Now what's interesting about our Bibles, we know we don't end there. After the death and resurrection of Christ, we know that our Bible continues to move on. And we specifically think about Acts from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now the gospel goes out in a very wide way. Remember we were studying this in Ephesians about this mystery, about this mystery going out to the Gentiles? It's a great mystery that it was all about the Hebrews, Abraham's people. It was all about that specific people group but after Christ, now it gets very wide and it's going out to the ends of the earth until Christ comes again. And that'll be the end of time. And so our Bibles go from very wide to the center of all other Bibles, which is Christ. And it goes very wide again when Christ returns for the second time. And it's another way to look at our Bibles. Okay, let me give you a third way to look at our Bibles, how God speaks to us. So we understand we have all these different books of the history, the prophets, the poetry, the gospels, and the epistles. Now, 
a kind of a summary way to look at that is God basically speaks to us in narratives. Narratives are stories, sequences, logically, that we can get a historical perspective or a biological perspective. And God mostly uses this. As you see here, 40% of our Bible is stories. Because God knows we want to hear stories. We love to hear stories. It makes sense to us when we have someone who's in, in, in deep trouble like Joseph, and finally he's redeemed at the end. Those make sense to us. And God often uses stories in the Bible. Another part of the Bible, a big part of our Bible, is poetry. When I told you about the songs and this dense creative language, God speaks to us in an emotional way to kind of get us off the beaten track. We're so used to thinking about point A to point B. Poetry kind of makes us think about the stars and the sun and the sky that God created. And we think about these things and we think, oh, that helps us. And some of you who are more artistic, <clears throat> more musical, think in those ways. You think it in these ways that are a little bit different than we normally think. And the last part of our Bible, 24% of our Bible is these epistles. It's basically essays and speeches and these if-then statements. It teaches us this is the way you need to live. You know, and these are the things that you need to do in your life. If you want to be holy, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be a deacon, these are things that you need to get square in your life. And it, it, it's a teaching part of our Bible. So it's the third way to kind of look at our Bible. But all these things are basically doing one thing. It's teaching us about who God is. When God speaks, it's about himself. When you guys come to your Bible or come this morning and think, well, I'm going to feel better. It's going to help me. This Bible is about me. I think you got it wrong. This Bible is about God. This Bible is about Christ. It's not a self-help to make us feel better. And it might do that, but that's not the primary focus of the Bible. The primary focus is to reveal who God is. And he's done it in all these different ways. And the more deeply you go, and I kind of got mixed up in this. I, I said, Pastor Hans, I have too much information. Once I started studying this, I, I got confused because there's so many ways that God speaks to us. But it's really one purpose, to reveal who he is, what he's done through Christ, and what he's doing to restore this paradise lost. We've lost it. We've sinned. We've messed up. And this is a long story about how God sovereignly has ordained this, how God uses all this, even our sin, to bring us back to the person of Christ. So, oh, there's our story. So 66 books. I don't know how many authors. 440, 40 plus authors over a thousand years. It's amazing what God has put together in the, in the story of the Bible. So when I'm telling you that God speaks to us, this is from Hebrews 1. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, by dreams, by visions, by angels. He's done all that. And Hebrews is telling us that was something long ago. And it's done. And it's over with. Why can we say that the Old Testament is closed? Why can we say that all those prophecies were filled? Look what Hebrews teaches us. But in his last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Remember that chart as it comes down? It all comes to Christ. When Christ, all those prophecies about Messiah, leader, new kingdom, it's all fulfilled in Christ. We don't have to worry about all those prophecies anymore. We don't have to worry about what we're eating anymore, all those purification rituals, all the rituals of those priests going in and out of the um, sanctuary. We don't have to worry about that temple um, veil, the Holy of Holies. It's all fulfilled in Christ. It all filters down to Christ. It's always about Christ. All of this is done, even the creation of the world as we're studying in Genesis, is about Christ. 
Christ fulfills all those prophecies. He's the leader that the Hebrews are waiting for. He's the one that will usher in us to the end of time. It's always about Christ. This is what our Bible is about. When God speaks to us, he's telling you, I'm sending you Christ. Christ is the one that will fulfill everything that we need. So I'm getting to emphasize it's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's not making ourselves feel good. The Bible is about Christ and the fulfillment that he has. Okay, so let's contrast that with what we say. Okay, so that's some summary of how God speaks and what God speaks. So I began thinking about, well, what is our language like and what do we say? When I was growing up, I was pretty young, in the 1960s, I was still little, but I remember this guy. He was a very big sports figure. You guys might have heard of him, Muhammad Ali. You guys, that, that name ringing bells to you? Muhammad Ali was fighting for the heavyweight title of the world. And he was young. He was just in his 20s. He had won every bout up to this point, and he was fighting Sonny Liston for the championship um, bout of the world. And this is a long time ago. They don't trash talk. I mean, you were very gentle and kind to your opponents back then, but when Muhammad Lee came on the scene, he was the first guy that I knew of that would trash talk his opponent. And he'd, he was very smart, because even as a young man, he would psychologically call his opponent. He's a gorilla. You know, he, he's just, you know, this guy's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him to the zoo after this and put him in the zoo. And he would say and it was really awful things that kind of got into his opponent's mind. But at this championship bout, one thing that he said before he fought Sonny Liston, he said this. He said, I am the greatest. And it was very interesting because he, he was not champion. Sonny Liston was a champion. But before this bout, before he was going to fight this great champion, he says this. And he wrote a poem about it. And this is what he said. I am the greatest. And his name was Cassius Clay. He became a, a Muslim and he turned his name to Muhammad Ali. But before he's called Cassius Clay. This is a legend of Cassius Clay the most beautiful fighter in the world today. He talks a great deal and brags indeedy of a muscular punch that's incredibly speedy. This fistic world that was dull and weary, with a champ like Liston, things had to be dreary. Then someone with color, someone with dash, brought to fight fans running with cash. This brash young boxer is something to see, and the heavyweight championship is his destiny. And he said this, very interesting, before he beat Sonny Liston. He beat Sonny Liston in his sixth round. He knocked him out. And after the fight, he said, I am the greatest. But he concluded with this. And I said that before I even knew I was. Isn't that interesting? That he had these words in his mouth and he had this attitude in his heart that I am the greatest. But he wasn't at that time. He proved later he was. And he, he did win this heavy ship championship, uh, world championship three times in his life. Was interesting. He also lost four times, and um, he has now passed away. He's no longer with. He's no longer the greatest. There's another heavyweight champion of the world. He's not the greatest now. Someone else is, and it made me start thinking about our words and how far short our words fall. On June fifth, nineteen ninety-three, I said these words: "I take you, Julie, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse." for richer or poorer, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy law, and this is my solemn vow. I had a picture of our, our wedding invitation and decided to take that down, but I said those words on June 5th, 1993, and I've kept every one of those words. I've never failed Julie once. 
Why are you guys laughing? Why are you guys laughing? Because you know, as a human, I did not do those things. I've not done those things. I promised to do those things on that day, and my heart was set to do those things. On June 5th, 1993, I was certain I was going to do those things for Julie every single day of her life. I would always be that man in her life. But you know, I'm human, and I fail, and I don't make the grade. My words failed. My vow failed. I vowed before God and all my family and all my friends I would do that, but I have not. And it was interesting, I won't share any names here, but I was with the sophomores uh, at um, ACF on Friday, and we heard all these things, and I, I can't reveal them, you can ask them, but you know, as we talked to the sophomores, all of us have failed. All of us have times when we just don't make the grade, and we know it, and our words fall short, and we're not quite the men and women that we're designed to be. Isn't that hard? It's not hard to reconcile, and I heard the pain in a sophomore's voice that I want to do these things. I want to be this person, but I can't quite make the grade. I fall short. I'm not that man or woman. And that's a dilemma for all of us, because we don't want to break our word. We don't want to be those people who fall short. And, and that's our dilemma, that what do we do? How do we handle that? You know, we all have that phrase, you know, you got to fake it until you make it. You know, we, we just kind of pretend. We just kind of fake it along that we're, we're this man or we're this woman. And we, we make that facade. But what I want to do this morning is put it back to where our focus should be. As I told you earlier, the Bible's not about us and what we want and about me as our world has taught us. Our world has taught us it's all about me. It's all about what I want. What the Bible does is put the emphasis back on God. What the Bible does is put the emphasis back on Christ. What has Christ done? What has God done? And I'd like to conclude with these few thoughts here. When God speaks, his words always come to pass. As I went through those verses before, I'm just putting them up there for you. When God says there's light, it's going to be light. When there's an expanse above, it's going to be expanse above. When there's going to be um, water below, land. When God says something, it's going to happen. It's not like my words or Muhammad Ali's words or even you know, the promises that we make. It's different. When God speaks, it always happens. Okay? When God speaks, it's essential to understand. And, and Pastor Hines were wrestling with us, and he said, you know, does, God ever tell, does God ever do something without telling us first? And we're looking through Scripture, and it's hard for us to find a time that when God was doing something, that he didn't tell us first what he's going to do. He almost always prefaces his works with words. Like when he was going to flood the earth, when he said, God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh on the earth. They are filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth, but I will establish my covenant with you and you and your sons and ark and your sons, your wife and your sons, wise with you, I will save you. So God told Noah, I'm going to wipe out everybody. I'm going to save you and your sons and your wives. And that's exactly what happened. God prefaced it. He thought it was important that he tell Noah and his wives, this is what I'm going to do. You might not get it. I'm wiping out everyone else on that face of the earth, but let me tell you why, because they're filled with violence. They hate me. They can't stand me. They're evil people. I'm wiping them out. And the same thing happens again with, um, with Joseph. Joseph, I, I alluded earlier that these dreams came to Joseph. You might forget that in Genesis 37. You think, Joseph, what a terrible life. He's sold into slavery. Potiphar's wife betrays him. He's forgotten in jail. He, you know, all these terrible things. But remember what happened in Genesis 37, that God gave him a vision. 
a dream. You know what? The sun and moon are going to bow down to you. These other sheaves are going to bow down to you. And if you take that in context, you think Joseph would hold on to those words that God promised me something. Something great's going to happen. And through all those trials, through all those difficulties, through all those things in his life, he knew that God's words are good. And at the end, Joseph is the one that saves the world. What it, basically, everyone had to come to Joseph for food. His brothers had to come for food. Jacob had to come for food. Everyone had to come to Jake, uh, Joseph because God is good. He didn't forget his words to Joseph. He didn't forget what he promised to Joseph. His words are good. As I conclude today, I'd like us to think about God's words. His words are essential to teach us about his sovereignty, his providence, his holiness, and love. His words always come to pass. His words show order and timeliness. His words are always for our good. His word teaches us about Christ and his work. And remember here in Isaiah, Isaiah 7 here, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was God's promises hundreds of years before. The Hebrew people are still wait, waiting for it. And yet all of us studied this passage in Matthew and the cell groups. They will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And it's fulfilled what the Lord had promised to the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and he shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God said it. God is sovereign. God is providential. God is doing it for our good. There's order to everything God does. There's no mistiming. When Christ comes, it's the fullness of time. It's the perfect time for Christ to come. God wasn't waiting. God was orchestrating it. God was sovereignly speaking his word, and everything comes to pass. So as we close today, let's think again as we get prepared for the communion table, what God said to us in, in his word. Wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, everlasting God. Let's remember his words as we approach the table. Let's pray. This morning, Father, we know you've sp spoken to us in so many different ways, and yet our hearts are so slow to, sp to respond. Our minds are so slow to conceive what you've done throughout time in many different ways. Over hundreds and thousands of years, you've been faithful. You've been good. Your words never fail us. You promise it's for our good. You promise to send a Messiah, someone who will stand in our place when we fail, when we fall, when we are depressed and discouraged and we want to end it all. You never do. You are the faithful one. You are Emmanuel, God with us, promising never to leave us, never to forsake us. Pray these things in your name. Amen.